Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. If you would, open up with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm, and we'll be looking at Psalm chapter 13 today. Psalm 13. I wonder, has there ever been a time in your life that you've asked the question, where is God? Maybe the question, where is God when I really need him? Why is it that God seems so far away? Or maybe you've prayed and you've cried out to God, but you haven't received an answer. And you've asked the question, why has he not answered my prayer? You know, a year ago yesterday, I got out of the hospital after battling COVID. And I was, I've been thinking about that experience that I went through this time last year. And I'll tell you that during that experience, I asked some of those very questions. You know, the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. And throughout this book, we find numerous Psalms where the psalmist is asking these very questions. You know, I think we've all been in that place where we've asked, where are you, God? Why have you not answered me? Psalm 13 was most likely written by King David during a time when he was experiencing great distress and great sorrow. More than likely at this time in his life, he was on the run from Saul, who was king at the time, and David's life was in great danger. David had cried out to the Lord, for help on numerous occasions, but yet he had received no answer. I wonder if there's anyone here today that maybe is in distress, as David was. I wonder if there's anyone here today that's cried out to God for help, but yet you've not received an answer. Maybe there's someone here today that's battling a financial problem. You've prayed and you've asked God for an answer, And yet no answer has come, but not only has no answer come, but the problem has gotten worse. Maybe you're here today and your once strong marriage has fallen on difficult times. You've prayed and you've asked God for help, but there's been no answer. And the marriage continues to deteriorate. Or maybe you're here today and you're struggling with a rebellious or wayward child And you've asked God to intervene in that child's life. But yet it just seems that that child continues to drift further and further away from both you and God. Maybe you're here today and asking, where are you, God? Why won't you answer my prayer? Well, in the time that we have remaining, let's examine the words of David in Psalm 13 and learn exactly what we're to do when we're waiting on God to answer. So if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, would you please stand? If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? 
having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has, dwelt, he has dealt bountifully with me. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. This morning, I want us to consider three different things. First, I want us to consider David's sorrow. David's sorrow. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me. You see, Psalm 13 has, been, has come to be known by some as the how long psalm. You'll notice there that the phrase how long is used four times in the first two verses. You see, in these two simple words, David expresses his feelings of abandonment by God. He says, how long, O Lord, this indicates that this was a prolonged period of suffering that David had been experiencing. You know, I think we all know that there will be difficult times in life, that there will be times where we all experience hardship. For the most part, I think most people know this and we just accept this as a fact of life. When God does not answer immediately, most Christians trust that God has his reasons and we try to be patient as we wait. However, when the short term turns into long term, that's when the frustration begins. That's when the despair enters in. Andrew Fuller, a pastor and theologian who lived during the middle 1700s to the early 1800s, said, quote, It is not under the sharpest, but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. When Job was accosted with evil tidings in quick secession, he bore it with becoming fortitude. But when he could see no end to his troubles, that's when he began to sink under them. You see, within each of our souls, there exists that moment when the armor that is, that is our faith begins to show cracks. We all have those moments. And here, for a very brief moment, we see a crack in David's faith. You know, one of the things that I admire about David is his genuineness. In these two verses, we see David expressing real emotion. In fact, he is brutally honest with God here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Church, I want, you, I want you to hear something. You don't have to put on a happy face with God. You don't have to put on a happy face with God. You can be honest with Him. Here at First Baptist Church, we have a saying 
And that saying is, real people being real. Real people being real. You know, a lot of times we walk into the church door and we see someone and we say good morning and the question is asked, how are you doing today? And what's the standard answer that we all give? Good, fine, right? Even though we know we're not. You know, we do the same thing with God. We go to God in prayer and maybe we're dealing with something, but we don't want to lay that out before God. We don't want to tell Him, talk to Him about it. We act like everything is okay. Why do we do that? There's no fool in God. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. Be honest with Him. He wants you to speak with Him honestly. Everything is not always okay, and we don't need to pretend that it is. Pastor Steve has a saying that I have really taken to heart, and I, I, I try to, to share it as much as I can, and that saying is, it's okay to not be okay. There's times where it's okay to not be okay. And especially when we're going before God and we're not okay, we need to let Him know that we're not okay. But why do we feel that we can't be honest with Him? Why is it that we try to hide our true feelings? Again, you know that He sees into your heart and into your mind. He knows. Look with me again at the first part of verse 1. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David here is expressing the fact that he feels like God has forgotten him. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? I believe that most of us, if not all of us, at some point in our lives have felt like God has forgotten us. David in Psalm 10 verse 1 says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How many of us have had days of struggle turn into weeks of struggle that have then turned into months of struggle? And some of us, or even dealing with years of struggle. You see, throughout that time, David had continuously cried out to God in the midst of his struggles, but there was no answer. And now he's expressing these feelings of abandonment. I can say that I, I know these same feelings. As I shared with you a year ago, when I went into the hospital, before I went into the hospital with, in, uh, with COVID in Austin, I was in Bastrop first. I went into an emergency room at Bastrop. I won't share with you the particular hospital, but I will say that I was severely mistreated in this hospital. I was severely mistreated in this hospital. I was forced to uh, wait outside, uh, even though I was feeling as though I was going to pass out. And I remember I went and I laid down on a sidewalk under a light post had my backpack with me and put my backpack up against the light post and laid down on my back. And as I was looking up uh, to the sky, I remember asking God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? I remember having a very honest conversation with God and saying, really God, is this how my life is going to end? I'm being discarded like a piece of trash on the side of the road. Because that's what I was being treated like. And I said, is this how it's going to end for me? In that moment, and there were other moments that were to come, 
I felt as though God had forgotten me. I wonder if you've ever felt like God has forgotten you. If you have, then let me give you, uh, let me quote here from the words of our dear sister Angie Eichler. Let me tell you something, church. Let me tell you something. If you've ever felt like God has forgotten you, He's not forgotten you. God never gives up on us. It's an impossibility. God is omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. So if He is all-knowing, it is an impossibility that He could forget about us. He never ceases to care about you and what you're going through. You might say, Pastor, how can you say that? How can you say that so dogmatically that God cares for me and that God cares about what I'm going through? I can say that because God's word says it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 and 16, God's word says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. That is God speaking. Behold, I, meaning God, have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Just as a mother would not forget to care for her child, God doesn't forget to care for his children. It's an interesting phrase when he says, I have, dis- I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're telling you something you need to remember and you take out your pen and you write a quick note, hey, call this person or, you know, remember this? You ever done that? And later on in the day, you've gone about your day and you've forgotten and you happen to glance at your hand and you see that note and you remember, right? Well, God has us written on the palm of his hands. He never forgets us. We are constantly on his mind. Dr. David Jeremiah, a great pastor, said this, quote, No matter what storm you are facing, you have never left God's heart or his mind. No matter what storm you're facing, you have never left God's heart or his mind, end quote. Church, don't ever let the devil tell you that God has forgotten you. Again, I remember lying on the ground that night under the light post later on once I finally got into that hospital in in Bastrop. And I remember laying there all alone. And I remember very clearly the enemy telling me, where's your God now? Where's your God now? Look at you. He's left you here all alone. He's abandoned you. After all that you have done, after all the sacrifices you've made in serving Him, this is how He treats you? Where's your God now? 
church, don't buy the lies that the enemy's trying to sell you. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. David felt forgotten, and he also felt forsaken. Look at the second part of verse 13. How long will you hide your face from me? See, David feels here as if God has purposefully turned his face from him. I mean, it's one thing to forget, but now he's saying, no, God, I feel like you have purposefully turned away from me. David feels as if God has removed his blessing from David, that God simply does not care about him anymore. Again, along with David, there is another who felt forsaken of the Lord in Scripture. In fact, it is the one who bears the title, the son of David, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? One of the things he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus was doing there was he was actually quoting from the book of Psalms. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Church, I want you to know today, that we have a Savior who knows how we feel. You see, the only people, the only people who will ever be forsaken by God are those who choose to remain in their sin, those who choose to reject His invitation to follow Him. Those are the only people that will ever be forsaken by God. Christian, even if you do not feel like God's face is turned towards you, it is. Even in the darkest of nights, God's face is turned towards you. A young father sat on the couch in tears at a funeral home as he grieved the loss of his young wife. That night, the father decided that his little boy needed to sleep with him and there they were in the dark room, the little boy alongside his daddy. The little boy wasn't used to sleeping with his father, but the two of them were there. The little fellow was sleeping where his mama once slept. And as they lay there in the silence for, the, for a while, the little boy said, Daddy, it's dark. I can't even see your face, Daddy. And the father said, Yes, son, it's really dark. And the little boy said, Daddy, is your face towards me? And the father said, Yes, son, my face is towards you. And the little boy said, That's good, Daddy. Good night. And he went to sleep. After the little fellow had fallen asleep, the father crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees and he prayed, Father, it's dark. It's very dark, Father. Father, is your face towards me? And God whispered into his ear, 
Yes, my child, my face is toward you. David felt forgotten. David felt frustrated. Or sorry, he felt forsaken. And thirdly, he felt frustrated. Verse 2 says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? David was frustrated. Again, he didn't feel like the face of God was towards him. Church, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what despairs you may be facing right now. But if you are a child of God, I know one thing. That your father's face is towards you right now. David was frustrated. Why? He was frustrated because he was being driven by his emotions. He was allowing his emotions to drive his belief. Again, he feels like God has removed his blessing from him which has caused David to fall into this dark place. Let me tell you, church, you cannot allow your emotions to drive you. You cannot be driven by your emotions. Now, are our emotions real? Absolutely. We can't deny that we have emotion. All right? They're real. We must acknowledge them. However, we cannot rely on our emotions. Why? Because our emotions are constantly changing. Right? One day we're up here, and in the next moment, we dip down. We cannot rely on our emotions. When God delays in answering, unfortunately, we kind of get into our own heads. We try to figure out the situation, try to figure out if there's some way that we can resolve it. But I want you to notice something in verse 2 when he says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul? He says, Having sorrow in my heart all the day. You see, he can't escape these emotions. He can't escape his feelings. David wakes up in the morning and they're on his mind. He goes to sleep at night and it's on his mind. I think there's an important lesson here that left to our own thoughts, we always end up in a place of sorrow. We always end up in a place of sorrow. You know, when I was in the hospital for that week, The most difficult part of being in the hospital with COVID was not the physical aspect of it, but it was the mental aspect. That's where the greatest battle was for me. It was in that week of being in the hospital that I learned for the first time what it was truly like to be alone. My doctor would come in once a day to check on me for about five minutes The nurses would come in periodically to draw blood, to give me my medicine. My food was brought to me. Each visit was only about three or four minutes long. So maybe, maybe, if you add up all of the time where I physically saw a person, was probably about 30 minutes a day. So listen to this. For 23 and a half hours a day, I was literally alone literally alone for 23 and a half hours a day. I was in the hospital for a week, and during that time, I probably turned the TV on once for maybe about five minutes in that whole time I was there. Didn't want the TV on. So there was a lot of time spent just lying in that bed, either on my stomach, face down, or on my left side. And I had a lot of time to think. 
And I'll tell you, there were times where my mind went to dark places. I wonder, can we relate to David? Can we understand the frustration of not hearing from God? He was frustrated as a result of his emotions, but he was frustrated also because of his enemy. Again, David was the king in waiting. From the time that David had been anointed to the time when he finally became king, it was close to 15 years. A lot of time had passed, and much of that time was spent on the run. David's life was in constant danger. Notice at the second part of verse 2, he says, How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now, Most of us probably will never have a physical enemy that is trying to seek to take our lives. But if you're here today and you're a Christian, you must know that you have a great spiritual enemy that's worse than any human enemy that you could ever have. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober of spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The first part of John 10.10, Jesus tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's been said the devil is the very adversary of our souls. There is no end to the ways that he will seek to destroy us, to get us to doubt God's presence, to get us to doubt God's goodness and his care for us. You know, I've learned over the years that when God seems absent or even distant, the devil is very near. Again, though at times I could not sense God's presence in the hospital, I was well aware of Satan's presence in that room with me. I could hear him whispering into my ears his lies. We've seen David's sorrow. Now let's look at David's supplication, verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. Psalm 13, it begins in despair, but it ends in great rejoicing. How is it that David can move so quickly from despair to rejoicing? These verses right here, three through four, provide us with the answer. And the answer is prayer. Prayer was the turning point for David. We see David praying in the midst of this desperation that he has to hear from God. Why is it that it's not until we can find no other way that we then turn to God in prayer? Why do we wait till we get to that point of desperation? Prayer should and it must be a constant in the life of a believer. I want you to notice three phrases in this prayer. The first, David says, consider me, Lord. You see, his feelings were telling him that God had turned away from him, that God was hiding his face from him. And so the first thing David asked God to do is to look in his direction. In a sense, he's saying, look at me, God. 
Think of me, Lord. Do not forget me. The second phrase he says is, he says, answer me, O Lord. You see, his feelings were telling him that God was no longer speaking to him. So the second thing he asked God to do is simply, answer me, Lord. Hear my cries and answer me. And then he, he, he prays something very interesting. He says, enlighten my eyes. Now, one interpretation of that could be, Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. You know, because when you're in the midst of despair, many times we don't see things from the perspective of God. We see things out of fleshly eyes. So it could be that that's what he's saying. But another interpretation of this phrase is that it's an idiom which expresses the effect of God's blessing on an individual. Have you ever noticed when someone is going through a period of depression or a time of despair, you can see their countenance change? Sometimes we can hide, actually, we can hide our facial expressions, but you know what we can't hide? The sadness in our eyes. We don't have control of that. But have you ever noticed someone, when someone is going through a time of despair, you can see it in their very eyes. And so when David says, Lord, enlighten my eyes, what he's saying is, Lord, put the spark back in my eyes. Put the spark back in my eyes. Put the light back in my eyes. And I wonder if there's anyone here today, anyone watching online or listening over the radio, that you've lost that spark in your eyes. You've allowed the enemy and your circumstances to extinguish that light that was once there, the light of God's grace. Maybe if that's you today, you need to pray like David, Lord, enlighten my eyes. David's prayer also was an appeal for God's covenantal favor. God's covenantal favor. Look how he refers to God. He says, answer, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. There we find two different names of God. The very first one, notice in your Bible, it's Lord in all caps. That is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Or some Jehovah. That is God's personal name. It is His covenantal name that He has revealed to His people. And so by calling out to Yahweh, His covenantal God, He's reflecting on God's promises. He's appealing to God in His promises that He has made Him. Because God had promised David that one day He would be king. But He doesn't just call Him Yahweh. He says, Lord God. That word God in Hebrew is the word Elohim. And it speaks of God's power. It speaks of His sovereignty over all things. So He is both Yahweh, the God who promises, and He is Elohim, the God who has the power to fulfill those promises. So David trusts in both the promises and the power of God. You know, it reminds me of that great hymn of the faith, Standing on the Promises. I love verse 2, 
which says, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. You know, this great hymn of the faith was one of the songs that the Lord brought to my heart and to my mind while I was lying in that bed. And I got on my phone and listened to it because it reminded me that I can stand on the promises of God. And what has God promised? God promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Prayer was the key to the change in David's heart and his attitude. So we've seen David's sorrow. We've seen his supplication. And lastly, let's look at David's song. Verses five and six. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Again, so many of David's songs begin with a sigh, but yet they end in a song. I love how the commentator stated it when he said, quote, as the shipwrecked mariner clings to the mast, so David clings to his faith. He he neither could nor would he give up his confidence in the Lord his God. He held on to the promise of God's covenantal love for him. He says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. Notice that verse, loving kindness. This is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It is the Hebrew word chesed. H-E-S-D, chesed. It means God's steadfast love or his loving kindness to his people. Notice he says, I have trusted which means he has placed his confidence. He has placed his faith, his belief. He has staked everything on God's hesed towards him. David's faith in Yahweh brought him out of that pit of despair and now has brought him to the place where he can wait on the Lord. See, David is confident that the Lord his God will not fail him. And David rejoices in his salvation. Now here, salvation means deliverance. He rejoices in the fact that God will deliver him. For you see, it is faith that says, Lord, I know that you're going to get me out of this. Lord, I know that you're going to walk with me through this. Church, the devil wants to minimize all that God has done for you in the past and maximize all your problems of today. But never, never, never forget all the good that God has done in your life. Psalm 40, one through three, psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, 22 through 23, God's word says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, the same God that was there for you in the past will be there for you today and he'll be there for you tomorrow as well. I wonder, is there anyone here today that is waiting on an answer from the Lord? Is there anyone here today that feels forgotten by God? That feels abandoned by Him? If so, know that you're not alone. David, the man after God's own heart, felt the same way. I cannot tell you today that your oppression, your despair will be lifted soon. But I can tell you this, at some point it will. I like this quote. It says, quote, The Lord's timing is never too late. It's never too early. It's always on time. Years ago, visiting a senior adult woman in a hospital room in Waco, Texas, this precious saint told me these great words. She said, God knows when you need Him and He's going to show up on time. True faith gives the Lord time to work. And as we end today, I want to end with this illustration. If you'll put that up there. Call this the train illustration. This illustration was given to me by my mentor many years ago as I was in the midst of one of the darkest periods of my life. So I want you to see here the locomotive. That locomotive represents truth, okay? Keep that in mind, truth. Here's the coal car. Coal car fuels the locomotive. Above this coal car, I want you to think of the Word of God. And here we have the caboose. And this caboose represents our emotions. Now, many times in life, we get these out of order. And we allow the caboose or our emotions to drive us. You cannot allow your emotions to drive you. You must be driven by truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is the fact that God has not forsaken you. The truth is the fact that you are not alone, that God is with you. Well, how do I know that truth? Because that truth is fueled by God's word. Because that's what God's word says. It's God's word that tells me this truth, that God will never leave me nor forsake me. So remember this train illustration. Truth, the word of God, emotions. When you find yourself in times of despair, when you find yourself overcome with anxiety, think of the train illustration. I have this printed and in my study above my desk with written above there, truth, word of God, emotions, to remind myself when I start to feel like I'm being driven by my emotions, when I get this out of, out of order, I say, Justin, you need to check your emotions. They're real, they're there, I'm not denying them, but I refuse to be driven by them. I'm going to be driven by the truth, which is fueled by God's word. It's our belief in the faithfulness of God that allows us to see that the Lord Jesus Christ has been with us every step of the way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word that you never leave us, 
nor do you forsake us. God, that in the darkest of nights, your face is towards us. Thank you, Father, that as I lay there in that hospital bed, you were with me, that you saw me through that, Father, that I'm here today to give testimony to your goodness and to your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we come to a time in our service where we have an opportunity to respond to God's word. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. This morning you've heard me speak about a God who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. He's a good, good father who loves his children. If you don't know this God, you can know him today and we want you to know him. Right now, you have an invitation to come and to receive Him as your personal Savior and Lord. And if you haven't, I pray that you would. Maybe you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're stuck in a season of despair. Maybe you're here and you've been crying out, but you've had no answer. I want to encourage you to take this time to pray. To cry out to God. To let Him know that even though He hasn't answered you, that you're still going to faithfully follow Him and trust Him and that in His timing, you know He'll deliver you from whatever despair you're facing. Whatever decision that you need to make, now is the time.